Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskinu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijon, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing HBO Max's series Made for Love with a very, very special guest, if I do say so myself, uh, Alison Herman, a staff writer at The Ringer. She mostly covers TV. Uh, she's actually one of my favorite critics. And she recently did review Made for Love, which made her, uh, we reached out to her and asked her if she wanted to come on the show. And here she is today. Thank you so much for being here, Alison. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me two varies that made me feel so special. So <laughs> good. I can ham it up even more if you like. Like I'm, I can do this all day, babes. So what have we been up to this week? What we should, I'll start off with you, Alison. You get you get first dibs on talking about your week. <laughs> sure. Um, I actually picked my boyfriend up at the airport last night which like let me tell you travel is back and so is LAX the traffic nightmare um, oh fuck yeah I mean it basically took me like as much time to get to the place where I needed to pick him up as it did to like drive to the airport in the first place but the uh, upside of that was that we pulled off the freeway on the way back and went to a super dope al pastor taco truck and like devoured uh, like crispy pork bits while standing over the trunk of my car, which is like truly one of the the great Los Angeles traditions and one of the things that makes schlepping all the way to LAX worth it in the end. So that was that was really nice. Were, were you a bit emotional about? about the traffic you know i i knew like also frankly like on the scale of lax traffic it wasn't even that bad it was just like oh i guess people are truly uh flying into the city again like i guess that's what's happening but um yeah i mean like the actual traffic on the way down was not that bad i feel like if i had like battled a true parking lot and then had to pull into a second parking lot i probably would have just been like I'm going to turn around. You can take a cab. Uh, Enjoy enjoy your evening. (laughs) Nice. How about you, Jenny? How's your week been? Week has been full of pollen. Spring is here. Yeah, I have allergies, man. It's really bad. I'm taking like allergy meds for the first time since I hate how they make you like sleepy and stuff. But I figure I'm at home. Who cares if I fell asleep during work? Yeah. No, sorry to anyone at work who's listening to this. But yeah, something to deal with. I've actually never had to deal with allergies. Not like that. Is it like a... Okay, I feel like this is almost pseudoscience when people say like, oh, allergies are just an American, modern day American thing. Is no, that no, that's real? not true. Okay. I mean, I think people say that about like peanut al- or like that food sensitivity. I think like seasonal yeah. allergies are pretty much like they're just a fact. Like I yeah. was actually born in Atlanta and my mom was like, that is the worst place to live for allergies because like <laughs> literally, literally like your car would turn yellow because there was so much pollen on it in the spring. Oh, shit. So fortunately, we moved to San Diego and everyone breathed easier after that. I don't know if growing up in England made it better or worse for me. It's a pretty green country, actually. I've never really had to. It's also very wet. So I don't know if that affects pollen either. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. According according to Bridgerton, there's just like flowers cascading everywhere all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well, if you look at any Netflix series set in England, for some reason, it's sun drenched constantly, which makes absolutely zero sense because i grew up in basically a fincher movie um <laughs> but yeah i uh this week i've been w- watching i rewatched the first season and i've been watching for the first time girls season two onwards yeah <laughs> so you can't see alison's face but she semi gasped um i've actually yeah i stopped watching it years back 
because everybody annoyed me. But now with, you know, a much more mature way of thinking about TV and characters and all of that good shit, um, I'm really enjoying it. What is killing me is that I'm basically watching a period piece now. I'm seeing the Blackberry curves. I'm very much missing my Blackberry curve. I miss handing out my BB pin to people, (laughs) you know, instead of my Instagram handle now. My friend is watching it for the first time, and I'm just like so jealous of anyone who gets to experience that show outside of the discourse about that show. Yeah, and like yeah. I, I'm having all these like oh you sweet summer child moments where she watched One Man's Trash for the first time, which is like one of my favorite TV episodes ever, and she was like oh, oh my, my god. god like. I was trying to look up like things that people had written about it and people thought like Lena Dunham wasn't hot enough to have sex with Patrick Wilson. Like what was happening? And I was like, yes, that was absolutely a thing that like consumed the internet in 2013 for like weeks at a time. I that that is also one of my favorite episodes that I've watched of it so far. I mean, that's the thing about girls is that like it is very much a show that has like yielded a few perfect episodes of television, but like those episodes kind of stand out more than the series as a whole, even though the the show is really good. But like, I think it was very much like, I think Lena Dunham is kind of meant to be a filmmaker and tells finite stories a little better, but definitely it's a, a great show. Great. So we are all having uh, weeks of varying qualities. But uh, aside from that, we all watched Made for Love, obviously. So Made for Love, to give a little bit of context in case you haven't watching it, it's a new kind of like spec fake sci-fi tech dystopia-ish dark comedy series on HBO Max. It's based on the novel of the same name by Alyssa Nutting. Three of them aired on April 1st. The second batch and other three episodes on april 8th and then the final two will air on april 15th so we're discussing like purely kind of from the context of the first two batches of episodes that we've seen so far um kind of a more generalized area so we won't i think be spoiling much from like the final two episodes because we haven't seen them yet um but that's our well, we haven't i think allison allison has. have you seen all of them by now i have the screeners for the last two and they've just kind of been acquiring dust in my inbox so <laughs> <laughs> so we're all on the same page technically yeah um but yeah so uh this series it stars Kristen Milioti as as hazel the wife of a tech billionaire byron gogol funnily gives the the Google vibes on purpose, um, who's played by Billy Magnuson. And then, so Hazel, she, after a restrictive, like, controlling 10-year marriage, uh, she basically escapes back to her childhood home where her dad, played by Ray Romano, still lives. Um, But the problem is that she's been fitted with, like, this brain chip device thing through which Byron can see and hear everything that she's doing. And he's using all of his power, his influence, his money to to try to get her back and like repair the relationship or his idea of that. So here's the thing. I hadn't read the book yet. Oh, and you bought it though, right? I did buy it and I did read it. So I read it before I watched it, but like very, very <laughs> immediately after I finished the book, I started watching it, which I think was probably a bad idea. Actually. Oh, really? Yes. Shouldn't have done that. However, I did still enjoy it. What were your thoughts on it, Alison? What were your first takeaways from it? I mean, this show hits a lot of my personal sweet spots, so I almost feel a little biased when I talk about it. Like, any sort of chaotic woman cannonballing through life and making terrible but hilarious choices. You know, we were just talking about girls, uh, Fleabag, 
You know, a lot of these women are white, which does not escape me. Crazy ex-girlfriend, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, once it opened with Kristen Milioti, like cannonballing out of the uh, desert floor and flipping off a unseen adversary, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to enjoy this. And I, and I did. Um, <laughs> strong opening. Exactly. So I really, really, really dug the first four, ep- uh, six episodes now that we've seen. And I also read the book, but it was in like November of 2019, which I feel like was sort of the ideal distance to, I still remember it pretty well, but I didn't have the one-to-one, like how does every single detail stack up that can sometimes happen when you read a book and then go straight into the adaptation yeah because for anyone that has read the book and is excited about watching this or has been watching it it is not a copy of the book it does not try and recreate exactly the book it has all the same characters basically but there's large chunks of the book that are missing um, and there are also stand-ins that work obviously work better as a tv series than they do as a book i really i'm really enjoying it so far i do have some qualms with it but for the most part, it's so much fun. What about you, Jenny? Yeah, I I guess I'm the only person here who has not read the book. But I guess maybe that's a blessing. I am enjoying it a lot. There are also like some things that kind of like don't quite hit for me. But overall, I think it's a lot of fun. I love seeing, you know, Hazel and like Kristen Milliot. Like it's such like a Palm Springs-ish kind of like redux in a way or like an alternate universe. Um, And otherwise... Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot is, I think, maybe one of the key words. It's just like so much is happening in here, but it's a fun ride that I'm like all in for. It's not heavy, though. That's no. kind of like how I feel about it. it. It has heavy themes, but it does not feel it's actually such a fun time. Right. Like the the first thing that comes to mind, I think, when you mention like TV tech dystopia is obviously Black Mirror and like mm-hmm. Kristen Milioti in addition to Palm Springs has literally been in a Black Mirror episode in almost a very similar situation where she played like a computer scientist whose consciousness gets cloned and put and like imprisoned in a video game by her misogynistic creepy boss yeah, I think like SS Callister, right? Yes. And I think when yeah. you think Black Mirror, you think some, with San Junipero being kind of the exception that proves the rule, it's pretty like doer and cynical. And like Made for Love is not optimistic about technology, but it has this sort of like, well, it's already taken over our lives. So fuck it. We might as well just laugh at how absurd and ridiculous this is. Exactly, um, yeah. That I think really carries over the tone of the book in a way that like I was almost surprised a TV show was able to pull off because Alyssa Nutting has a very specific voice. Yeah, yes. I think it, it helps that she, you know, was very involved in the production of this. I think for for me, one of the first moments that made me like really like sit up in my seat and be like, okay, this show is maybe not what I was expecting, but definitely going in for like an interesting direction was when um, not very far into the first episode, we see a guy lose his fingers, just like the axe uh, or whatever it is, like just like chopping yeah. them right off. And I was like, wow, this show is clearly it's going to like that kind of dark comedy vibe and just being like really sharply funny and a little bit like slapstick and absurd and kind of cynical but like in a really weirdly peppy way yeah yeah this is definitely like you said Alyssa Nutting's voice is completely carried over let's talk a little bit about Kristen Milioti because I she got a little bit of hype after Palm Springs And it's just been really exciting seeing the feedback for her specifically, because she is actually really, really great. You know, you mentioned it with with Black Mirror, the the roles that she's picked for herself, including Palm Springs, has been 
her pushing back on something that is trying to control her, whether it's a time loop, whether it's a creepy boss, whether it's on, obviously in this case, uh, an abusive husband. Um, what is going on with Kristen? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? I mean, I think she's found a niche that really works for her. I think, um, so one thing about Made for Love is the structure uh, is this sort of alternating timeline where there's the present yes. tense where she's escaped from Byron Gogol's tech prison and is totally just letting loose and doing all the crazy things that she couldn't do when she was married to this guy. And then you also see the version of her that was in his compound that he calls the hub. And it's really fun to watch her kind of alternate between those two different modes. And one is this sort of like, like simmering repressed resentment rage where she's playing the sort of Stepford wife, but you can tell she absolutely hates it. And then in the present when she's totally just chaotic and spinning out of control, but you can tell that she likes the messiness of the real world because part of the heightened reality of the show is that she like literally has not left the hub in 10 years and there's no such thing as smell inside the hub. Yeah, the um, the way that the show, and obviously the book, but the way that the show literalizes these concepts, like the, these techniques of abuse in abusive relationships with regards to like, he's in my, he's in my head. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, in, in this context, there's a chip in her head. You know, she's a prison in her own home. The hub is basically a gilded prison. That's really interesting just because like you think that that would be too on the nose but it actually really works in this sense because the tone of it is so dry-witted and everybody acts so like the acting is also so effortless with regards to executing the comedic lines or the dialogue it just really works well and a pivot the show makes relative to the book that i thought was really interesting and smart is in the book byron her husband slash abuser is this very cold almost omnipotent yes faceless figure who can just kind of do whatever he wants and then in the show he's played by billy magnuson and he's still you know kind of malevolent and having a terrible effect on his wife but he's much more, you know, he's this like big whiny man baby who has emotions and is very vulnerable. And it, it doesn't excuse his behavior at all, but it makes him a lot more alive and active as a character in, in a way that I thought really works. A hundred percent. That was my favorite thing about it because he seems so vacant in the book. He seems so like he's completely not in touch with her at all. Whereas in the TV series, you're given the reasons. There's a part of you that's like, is he just a bit neurodivergent? Like, is he, does he just not want to be around people because he has like extreme social anxiety is this what this is about but obviously he's he is completely punishing somebody else and doing it through very sinister methods so it doesn't really matter you know brass tacks yeah i love that one too i love i love that pivot as well yeah i i wanted to just comment on how much i love ray romano in this mm. it's great to see him back in in <laughs> This kind of role that he pretty much always done does, which is kind of this like uh, droopy, dopey dad, kind of just like accepting his lot in life or whatever. Um, but here, with like the the really messed up sort of aspects of like he has this his new, I guess what he considers his wife is this like sex doll Diane, um, and he's just like, I haven't seen you, my daughter Hazel, in like ten years. Like, what do you want me to do for you? But it just reminded me, like, how good he is in these kind of roles. And yeah, I like what he brings to the table. Although I'm a little bit more, I guess, like, one of the areas where I'm kind of, like, a little bit more not a f as much of a fan of or a little more skeptical of is, like, how the, the show so far, I don't know if this is true in the book also, but, like, 
the idea of like the family and like loneliness and kind of like what has happened to to their family as a result of their mother's the mother's death it's like healing but in kind of like an after school special kind of way to me so far mm. whereas like i i prefer kind of the the more deeply like ironic like cynical like zany kind of feel of like when she first arrives back home again it's just like Oh, Dad, you're here with your like sex doll wife. But yeah, what, how how is the the theme of like family like hitting for you for you all so far? I think I kind of agree. Go ahead, Allison. Sorry. Oh no, it's your podcast. I was just say- I was just gonna say I that is something that's relatively new to the show as opposed to the book. Like in the show, in the book, he still has the sex doll, but I think he's a little more just of this like zany figure, and they don't really explain their relationship. I think like a compromise moment that happens in the show that I really enjoyed was when he takes her to the town bar, town watering hole to like talk to someone about an airplane, just Mm -hmm. one more harebrained scheme. But he's like hesitant to go in and she's like, oh, they think you're the town pervert, right? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, fuck them. Like, let's go in. So I thought, and then she ends up, um, they try to steal Diane and she like beats or she, has someone basically uh, beat the guy up and take Diane back. And I thought that was a, a moment of sweetness that was a little yeah. more in line with the show's actual tone. Um, one more yes. fun fact I wanted to add that I learned in interviews is that Alyssa Nutting herself was the mold for Diane's face. No way. <laughs> oh, no way. Because I was going to say it's very, it, it looks like it could be a real person. In fact, That's it is. So funny. That's actually yeah. pretty genius. The very Shout uncanny to- valley kind of way. Yeah, th- there's just, I think, the, I think, I agree with you, Jenny, in that it doesn't really get into why Hazel is the way that she is. Like, other than her mother dying, other than her father being an alcoholic, it doesn't really get into that as much. You don't really see two... I I just kind of wish there was maybe one more flashback of her childhood, Mm -hmm. just to kind of pad it out a little bit more. But I'm fine. Like, I'm fine, really. I mean, in the book... The amount of stuff that they're putting in, like, I get it. And maybe there'll be more coming up. Sorry, go ahead, Allison. Oh, I was just going to say, in the book, it's they're almost like Hazel and Byron are kind of less characters and more like avatars of like Byron is technology and Hazel is like the human id. And, you know, they definitely, yes, exactly. they are people, but they are less like individuated than I think an actual TV character who you're seeing in three dimensions has to be. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually a little bit, I don't want to give too much away for anyone that hasn't read the book, but I'm a little bit upset that a huge part of the book is missing, which is a whole other character. So the book is kind of pretty much split between two main characters. It's Hazel and this other guy. I'm a little bit upset that he's not in oh. this. I get it, but it, it's not, I get why. I, I totally understand why the TV series is going the way that it is. I just kind of <laughs> wish that we did get the two plots that then finally merge. But oh, interesting. I don't know. So it involves, so they do incorporate it in that there is a dolphin in the show and there yes. is a dolphin on the cover art for the book. But the way that the dolphin happens in the book is that there's a character who, I'll just say, has a dolphin fetish um, yes. and that, that interacts with the main plot in a very surprising way. But that's very, like, Alyssa Nutting is very, like, lewd and sexual in a way that um, her first book is literally... I'm just going to insert a quick content warning for child sexual abuse. Her first book is literally about a pedophile teacher. And that includes like very graphic passages that involve an adult woman having sex with a pre-teenage boy. Mm-hmm. And, but it, like, 
it is somehow, I cannot believe she pulls this off. It is both really funny and really like obvious how fucked up it is. It's, um, which it got optioned for a TV show also by Harmony Corinne. And I'm so glad that that never happened because I don't think there's a way to do it. Of course, fucking Harmony Corinne optioned it. Of course. Yeah. Um, I think that's the kind of thing that like, uh, I don't know if you guys have listened to Lolita podcast by Jamie Loftus, but she's kind of like the only way that you can actually responsibly tell a story about this kind of thing is if it's animated and all the voice actors are adults, like there's just no ethical way to do it otherwise. And that's how I feel about that story and made for love. Like somehow the plot line that involves, um, dolphin sex is like the book that is more friendly to a general audience than her first one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Jenny, I just wanted to circle back on Ray Romano. I think the thing that makes him the strongest is that he looks like life has completely fucked him over and his soul is just seeping through his pores. Um, oh, yeah. And it just made me, it made me think of like um, George Clooney and Michael Clayton of just being like completely done with the way that life has been dealt to him and then i was like what if ray romano was michael clayton and how much better of a film would that be but that's just (laughs) that's just me getting a little bit ahead of myself um one thing i wanted to chat about actually is even though this 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 is about technology and the ills of technology i think the thing that makes it the strongest is the way that it talks about relationships and about abusive aspects of relationships even the relationships that might seem like they're good things or I guess relationship goals as this theme that is kind of manifested through Byron and Hazel uh, or what Byron thinks their relationship is. What were your thoughts about that? Because this is obviously about abuse, but it says a lot about actually normal relationships and what people think a good relationship should be. Because the technology is the merging of two brains, which (laughs) is ridiculous and you'd think that no one would want that, but that's what people basically want in their relationships without the chip, right? Right. I thought... It's really interesting because Byron is someone who is so obsessed with the sort of conventional grand gestures of romance. Like on his first day with Hazel, he uh, brings her into a simulation of a beautiful packed restaurant in Rome. And every time he sees her, he goes in for this big operatic kiss. And he seems to sort of want the outward appearance of intimacy without like really understanding what intimacy means. And and, like, if you tell someone, I want to share space, with you and they say no you you don't have a response to that like you just have to accept that and your refusal to accept that boundary you know shows that you're not the right person to be in that relationship in the first place and yeah yeah, I thought it's really interesting because in this like very sad way he wants to connect with someone but his understanding of what connection means is so warped that he doesn't understand that like the made for love technology basically means that you don't trust your partner and that's you know the messed up thing that happens is he says like I want to connect with you but then he implants the chip in her before he has one and literally tells her like I needed to read your diary before you could read mine which literally is saying like i deserve like more knowledge and control than you do and um that belies the whole point of the technology in the first place i kind of feel like byron is probably bachelor nation like (laughs) just he's just been watching too many series of that and thinks that this is kind of how it goes um, yeah, there's a there's a pretty good moment. Uh, I've forgotten which episode it is, but a a, they, a journalist comes, like a a news, uh, not news, sorry, like a TV journalist comes and interviews them for the first time. Like they're let, and uh, can I just say, side note, I love the way that they 
did that because it gave me like Mark Zuckerberg and his wife being, you know, cameras yeah. into their house for the first time. But he asks, like the journalist, like the the interviewer asks, what about intimacy? What about privacy? Uh, does that not mean anything? And he's just like, why would you need that? Like he just doesn't understand the concept of it. It's super fascinating because there are shades of that in what people's understandings of like real love is. Yeah, I, I just love that they hammed it up in a way to kind of show some kind of a mirror back to people that, I don't know, might want to know everything that their partner is up to all the time, you know? Because that, yeah. that's basically not how healthy relationships work. <laughs> it does make me, like, so much more curious, though, like, exactly what is up with Byron as a as a character, as a person, which, mm. like, yeah, I don't want him to be humanized necessarily, but I just want to know, like, what the fuck happened to this dude to, like, make him this way? Or is he just, like, literally just, <sighs> what is that fake statistic was like that like ceos are majority of them are like actually sociopaths because how else could they be this way uh Mm -hmm, maybe he mm -hmm. is just like another one of those um but it really is like if there's like anything like sort of like easter egg or whatever that or like bonus facts after this whole series is over like i would want to know what the fuck happened to him and why is he like this well it also felt i mentioned this in my review but it felt to me like an additional commentary or piece of tech satire in that like i think a a thing a lot of people criticize about silicon valley is their whole idea of problems in the world that need to be solved is so shaped by like their own very limited personal experience as relatively affluent you know often young childless people living in cities and so you know you get that joke about like tech people reinventing the bus or library or like just yeah. you know very minor inconveniences that there are like multi-billion dollar companies to solve while like world hunger is still a problem like that kind yeah. of thing and this felt like the most extreme possible version of that where like there's a moment where hazel's dad is like what is the business potential of this product like why is this giant corporation making this and the answer is like it is a specific problem in byron's relationship with his wife that he's like I'm going to dedicate all my resources to solving this. And I'm also going to assume that everyone else has this exact same problem and they need it solved for them. Yeah. I do. One of the things I like a lot about this series is like that sort of the satirization of like the tech Silicon Valley thing. I I don't like read or watch a whole lot of these kind of like, uh, you know, dystopia, like tech dystopia, spec big uh, sci-fi kind of stuff. But it, it did like, Give me, like, the same feeling, basically, as when I I read The Circle, uh, however many years back, of just, like, taking to the extremes, like, all the possibilities of where these huge, like, Silicon Valley tech monopolies, like, how far that they will go into monopolizing every part of your life, every aspect, um, just being everywhere intrusive, like, the, the kind of terrifying thought of, you literally can't go anywhere because these people can see where you are, they can hear where they are, they can contact you on any given device anyone in the world uh they can wipe your identity clean they can make sure that you are basically non-existent and not a person anymore um so that's another aspect that i kind of enjoy a lot as just like a an exercise in imagination slash yeah anxiety about the future with or the current age i guess like where we are right now it's funny that you say that because the reason why i like this tv show in particular is because i've had my fair share of black mirror episodes and i'm fucking done dude Mm -hmm. like i'm so over it just not because I, of course, interesting things are being said when we talk about the dystopian 
aspect of tech, but I am just simply tired of staring down the barrel of that gun. Made for Love is definitely doomsday-ish in, in some aspect of it, but it just doesn't have that feeling. No. And it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, send me spiraling, basically. Well, and a lot of the lighter tone of the show, I feel like almost comes from the sense of futility. Like the power imbalance is so extreme. Like it's not a show about her escaping and like trying to, you know, get away from this guy because she doesn't have a chance. He's literally inside her head. Like he literally, you know, will call a phone wherever she is or like throw up something on a screen wherever she is. He can literally see and hear. And so instead of just wallowing in that despair, I think the show just kind of throws up its hands and has a little more fun with it. And it's just like, okay, well, like it's already like this. So you might as well, it almost means that like you have to go straight to the point of these two characters actually relating to each other as opposed to like him pursuing her or her trying to escape him. It's like, she can't escape him. So why not? Yeah. 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 And the, 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 Jenny, the things that you said about like not understanding why Byron is the way that he is in the book you can kind of understand why he picked Hazel because she is such an empty vessel of a human being that can be filled up with whatever potential that he wants out of her, including her potential as a piece of technology. Um, mm. And there is an there is an aspect of that. It is kind of nodded to. There's a point in which Byron says to her, you're the most valuable thing that I own. And she mm-hmm. responds back with like person, just to remind him. Um, but he does care so much about her in the TV series more than he seems to care about her in the in the book but you're absolutely like in terms of in terms of that power imbalance the point in which she does kind of regain a little bit of that autonomy are also so delicious like when she watches this guy jerk off in front of her (laughs) i'm a little bit annoyed that they shied away from that because in the book they actually fuck so oh well and in the book he's like he's not like a hunky homebrewer who like smells funky he's like a gross dude that she picks up but also i think like in the book it's more like byron sees hazel as his property and so she he's she's like a science experiment to him he's just like okay i want this technology and like i want to completely subsume you to me and i think this is like he legitimately in his messed up way wants to have a relationship and a connection with her and loves her but he just can't express that in a normal healthy way yeah do you think it's it's weird that the series is like has moved in that direction in terms of like reshaping or slightly rehabilitating this character in that way I think it works like it just I don't see how you make a compelling TV character about out of this just like cold and feeling omnipotent guy and like I don't think the humanizing of Byron makes him more forgivable it's almost like he's more familiar and therefore like a little scarier and a little more pathetic and just also Billy Magnuson is just so great I love him he's so good (laughs) yeah I I mean to your question Jenny I think it just lends itself to more nuance like it, it it's tired that the cold tech guy that doesn't really talk that doesn't really say anything doesn't really express emotions that's like a trope that we've seen <laughs> over and over again um so it's nice to kind of see him fluctuate between these two states of being that he seems to be in yeah is this a limited series i don't know actually yeah. i i would be very curious to see how they would try to extend it to be like yeah totally honest i don't see this having mass appeal i don't know anything about the ratings but i would not be shocked if it turned out to be a one and done just because it's so insane that this got made in the first place but like i love that it got made yeah you know yeah Yeah, i agree i think um maybe this will make way for Alyssa nutting to be on more in in more writers rooms and that's fun 
What's been the critical reception to this so far? In general, I guess, if, if anyone knows. I think it was pretty mixed. I mean, this is definitely one of those things where, like, I just came out the gate and was like, it's awesome. And then everyone was yeah. like, mm. <laughs> But, yeah. no, I think a lot of people, like, I know some people had issues with the structure and were kind of like, I wish it were a little more chronological um, instead of just copying the book. I saw some people who were sort of like, you know, feels a little slight. I don't know. I, I don't think as many people were necessarily carrying in my like aggressive standing of the book into the show, but I, I really hope it's something that more people discover and get to like my poor editor, like every other line in my review where I was just trying to describe some insane detail, he would comment on it and be like, what? Like, are you, what? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. And that's such, that's so important. I don't know. There's so much that's coming out and just something that is able to achieve like a spirit or a different like vibe that you've seen from anything else it's so hard to just get that right yeah is there is there anything about this that you were not as much of a fan of allison so i watched the most recent episodes and i do think like the more plotty it gets the more like what's gonna happen with the chip like the more story-based I think it is, the less I was kind of engaged with it just because the book is pretty much like a, a vibe or tone piece and then it all just kind of magically resolves itself in the end in a very absurd way, but it's not really concerned with like the propulsion of it. And I think the show, just because like it's a TV show and you just need story to like feed into that engine just has to turn into a little more of like, who's going to talk to who to get what yeah. done and go where. And that's just like, not as fun to me as just the basics of like, there's this sequence of cubes where you eat food as little pod bubbles. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like the world building of it, I think is a little more fun to me than the. Yeah. Just- yeah. I, I agree. I think the, the point in which she meets the lawyer and then the lawyer gets scared off. I was just like, yeah, okay. We yeah. get it. He's it, like, gonna stop this. Right. It demonstrates yeah. something, but it's a little bit like, okay, wow, in and out in like, you know, seven minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I had two thoughts as I was watching this. The first one was like, I wonder what Rosamund Pike's character in Gone Girl would do if she was Hazel <laughs> instead of Hazel being Hazel. And I feel like she would have taken over the company within five minutes. The second thing is especially with a flashback of their first date, I thought about what I would do if that happened to me, if like a complete tech billionaire came up to me and was like, let's just get married, let's fuck off. How would you guys feel about it? What would you guys do if you got that marriage proposal? I would probably be like, it's really dope that I got this fancy dinner. Like, thanks for the free dinner. But um, I'm going to respectfully pass on that. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, like, I think the thing the show does that's fun is like, actually kind of suggest like why someone like Hazel would just be like, why not? Like, she's just a very impulsive person who hasn't really had anything like that in her life. So and like almost nothing to lose in a sense. I would I'm, like to think that I am the kind of person who would also say no to that. I don't <laughs> Mostly because I'd be like, uh, man, who is this guy? But yeah, I guess I I would think that I would say no to that as well. What about you, Felon? I think I'd say yes. Really? <laughs> All right. Don't Wild card. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, I don't... I mean, I think the thing that I would be a little bit like, what is going on here is... Um, Hazel, Hazel is so impressed by the different because she he basically asked her do you want to go like just tell me where you want to go in the world mm. anywhere you want to go and then the little pod that they're in it stimulates every single location that she lists and it would be at that point where I'd be like 
I'd actually like to get on a private jet, please. Thank you so much. Um, so if he said yes to the private jet situation, then maybe I say yes. But if he was just like, no, we're going to go in here and just we'll never leave. Uh, the, the only reason why I say yes is because I'm marrying a billionaire, which I read actually like the writers study a lot of people that married into very rich and powerful people, uh, mm. like married rich and powerful powerful people and like how they kind of responded to that and how they like the divorce proceedings that followed uh they did a lot of studying of that kind of dynamic and and what that looks like because like how can you say no to that you know just that association we see it in succession all the time with cousin greg like he's literally just trying to get (laughs) get be a part of this world and do terrible things to get there well also i don't know i feel like the most realistic version of me is the one that just says yes to the free dinner and like maybe hops off the right after that but i feel like the ideal version of me is like and also your level of wealth is immoral and just takes (laughs) takes the opportunity to just like dress down the the kind of capitalism like you know if i were in a room with jeff bezos i would probably be like listen man you gotta you gotta recognize this union down in bessemer like you shouldn't you shouldn't (laughs) make your drivers pee in bottles that's kind of messed up yeah what if you were like i will marry you if you give away 98 percent of your wealth are you making a moral dilemma yeah man might as well you might as well i mean like bargaining two percent of jeff bezos money is obviously more than anything i will ever have in my entire life so like yeah Yeah. i would be like i would get rich and i would do great things for the world so win-win Okay, Look so we need we need people to seduce these tech billionaires. Like we need some sort of like running thing where they do this, but they're <laughs> also in the DSA and they Listen, have this. <laughs> I I know that this is very silly, but I if you put me in a room with Jeff Bezos, I feel like I could seduce him. By the way, I'm married. <laughs> I don't think that would be hard. We know that he's like weird and horny. Like he's <laughs> so horny. We've he's seen his so text. horny. Yeah, he's so horny. And anybody that gets like that ripped that late in life, like they are just... I mean, did you read that one article? I forget. God, I forget even like what the overall thesis of it was. But there's an incredible quote in it where someone basically says like all of Amazon Prime Video, like all of Amazon's show business arm is a loss leader for Jeff's sex life. And I, it just like oh. it stuck with me. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I guess any final thoughts on this that anyone wants to talk about? I'm I'm actually curious to see how they're going to end this series, um, mm. just how it's going to resolve itself, because we did just get an introduction of a new character in episode six. Oh, yeah. And she Very seems really friendly. fun. Yeah, I'm excited for her, but I'm curious to see how that resolves itself. Byron has also now exited into, exited the hub and is into the real world. Um, so I'm also very excited about that, I've got to say. I mean, I just love the idea of, like, yet another exploitation nun just, like, running around. It's like, we already had Watchmen. There was, like, a little bit yeah, of Nacho that. Hunter. It's like, it's just, it's all about the nuns now. So I'm very excited. That's also, like, it felt like the making up for cutting out the dolphin plot line is, like, let's just have yeah. a cool nun. Let's go for just that. throw the nun in there. Everybody Wait, so that loves was not nun. in the book? Nope. No. Oh, no. interesting. There's no nun in the book. But yeah, so how many more episodes are there? There's four more episodes? There's two more, I believe. Two more? So there was going to be ten episodes, and then the pandemic happened, and they oh. shortened it to eight. So. Jeez. Oh, shit. Oops. So that's actually pretty upsetting. Because I don't know, I, I genuinely thought there was going to be four, and I was really excited to see the Nun and Byron in the real world pay out, but if it's only going to be like an hour left, because cause these are half an hour episodes. Yeah, so I'm curious to see how they how they end that, but um, 
Alison, is there anything else that you're watching right now that you would recommend to our listeners now that we have like a real pro in the house? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I feel like this is very basic, but I've gotten like way back into Top Chef in quarantine because I used to be a big Top Chef person growing up. And then I I did like the classic millennial thing of like I moved away and went to college and just like didn't keep up with it. And then the first season that showed in quarantine was in LA and I was like, well, I have to watch this. And it made me really emotional because it was right at the beginning of quarantine. Um, And, you know, they do a tribute to Jonathan Gold and it's just very sad. Um, And then the second one just started airing. It's had two episodes and they made it during the pandemic. Yes. And it's both like really cool from just like the, point of view of like it's about restaurants and so people are like i had to lay off all my employees like this has been so hard and then there's just like the very relatable like they had in the most recent episode they showed two people having a conversation and they were like yeah it's really weird to go from just being alone in my house to being with like 15 other people i like don't know how to talk to people anymore (laughs) and i'm like i cannot cook with like you but that is very yeah, relatable. Feel that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've been so Jenny and I work for a food media publication called Eater. So you'd think, are you a Top Chef watcher, Jenny? Because I so that latest season is the first one ever that I'm watching. Oh, um, I watched it. A, I watched it a lot. I think in like high school, like just yeah. at home with cable, Bravo, you know? Yeah. Um. So I was really into it for a while. But yeah, after I, same thing, like went to college, like no more cable, Um. have not really kept up in years and years. But mm. I'm hearing a lot of people are watching like the, the latest season. And so I kind of want to get on that train. Yeah, that I I find it very interesting. I think the one thing that annoys me about Top Chef is that the judges are not that much more experienced or that like skill wise not that much better than the contestants i was kind of throwing me off i almost like that because i think one of the nice things about top chef is that the contestants are like genuinely incredibly skilled and like yeah yeah. i don't know it doesn't have that thing that other reality shows have where like they kind of cast more for like how entertaining they are on tv than like how actually talented they are and like top chef people are like very important people in the culinary world exactly Um, yeah I will say also this like latest Top Chef viewing in quarantine has been the first time I've watched it since I really like knew how to cook. And it Mm -hmm. has given me just like a whole new like, I cannot believe how insane like not just like their knife work is like as as professional. Yeah. But like, the fact that in quick fires, they have to conceive, just like come up with a dish off the top Mm -hmm. of their head and just like get that out in half an hour is like insane to me. Yeah, it's in- it's incredibly insane. I have I've worked with a lot of ex Top Chef contestants because of my job, and every single time I asked them, I was like, "How how was that?" And they're just like, it's "Literally the hardest thing I've ever done." <laughs> and it's every <laughs> sure. consistently every single time, and you see it like in the in this latest episode with the diner section, they are sweating bullets by the end of it. Like they've all just done like high intensity cardio, just getting that done. Uh, yeah, it's very it's very enjoyable. I. Being a Brit, did not grow up with any of these reality slash competition TV shows. So I've been getting into, I watched my first ever uh, season of Survivor recently, been watching Top Chef. Um, I got into Bachelor Bachelor last year for the first time, but I think I'm done with that. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's fascinating. Sweet. 
Thank you so much for joining us for this Made for Love chat, Alison. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, where can people find your work, follow yeah. you? Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, sure. They can find me on all platforms at, at aherman2006. It's my AIM screen name that just became oh, my, wow. my internet sober cat uh yeah and you can you can read my work on the ringer and i would like to think all of it's decent so <laughs> it's, it all of it is more excellent. than decent <laughs> it's more than decent so that's it for this week if you are watching anything that you think we should check out um of course always let us know where at criticism is dead at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, you can also subscribe to our Substack, criticismisdead.substack.com, for extra show notes, uh, links, whatever. Please check out Allison's work. She is amazing. And otherwise, thank you all so much. Rate, interview us, as always, five stars only. Tell a friend. Do whatever you need to do to help us get the word out and continue existing in general in space yes. and time. Spread the good word on for us, girls. Thank you all. And, and guys. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. See you next Bye. week. Criticism is Dead is produced by Palinkeska Nu and Jenny Jishan. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.